live here at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. I'm Treacherous Trista. Yes, and we're joining by the returning, one of my favorite guests, and not just because he's here, one of my favorite guests, the Cenobite actor, the author, comic book writer, former model, maybe even a future model, a very well-groomed man, all-around <laughs> sweet guy, and he's the host of the Chattering Hour with Nicholas Vince. Nicholas Vince. Here. <laughs> I love your introductions of me. They always cheer me up. No end. <laughs> yeah, I brought. I think it was the first or second time I brought up. Uh, at the time, I wasn't very well groomed, and Nicholas actually gave me uh, grooming advice on the show. Well, I remember. I remember this very clearly because I think one of the questions we asked, we were asked by one of the viewers, was, "How come you know?" I, <laughs> I managed to retain my youthful good looks. And of course, the answer is moisturizer and good lighting. Um, this is what we all want in life is moisturizer and good lighting. Good lighting, right. <laughs> yeah. Just bring around a lighting crew with you at all times. Yeah. 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 And a makeup artist just to, you know, fill in the cracks. Mm -hmm. um, that's always very useful. <laughs> yeah. So returning to video cast. Was this something you missed doing? In terms of doing it with you now or just doing the chat? Oh, doing the chat. Well, of course. I mean, that goes without saying. But... Well, <laughs> you mean the chattering hour? Yeah. Um, yeah I, yes, absolutely. The reason for coming back to doing video ch chats and the chattering hour. Okay, well, there were two reasons I was asked. Um, I was asked by my producer, Chris Rowe. Uh, whether or not I would like to do it. And also, basically, the technology has moved on from when I used to do it on Google Hangouts. Right. I don't know if you found this, but doing this on Zoom is an awful lot easier because now everyone over the last eight months has become an expert on doing video casting. Uh -huh. So in terms of getting guests on and sadly because of lockdown, everyone's a lot more available than they, you know, they have been previously. Um, so yeah, it's just an awful lot easier to do now. Yeah. I remember, Cause I just, I, we used to just do audio obviously. And yeah. uh, I always wanted to do video, but that was, that was a big problem was finding the guests, you know, who could also do video. Yeah. And it's not the same, like if you're in video and they're on the phone or whatever, but uh, I didn't even know about zoom actually until the pandemic. I don't think anyone, no, that's obviously not true because obviously right, people right. did know about it, but I think nobody in my circle of friends um, knew anything about Zoom. And I think, yeah, it's just been a massive learning curve for everybody, but it's become so vital for everyone as well. I think in terms of being able to stay in touch with friends and family and doing, you know, just doing what we're doing now, yeah. kind of hanging out with people, checking in and on people has become absolutely vital those guys cannot have known what i hit them no, um really. it's kind of like you know it's like here's your usage it may be going up slightly now it's doing that it's <laughs> you know like overnight their uh, increase of usage must have really hit them hard yeah i noticed uh in your uh intro video or your video that you did to, to uh promote the show you had the dancing skeletons and i remember you actually had those and i think it was your uh the blood drive video 
So yes. is that you know, something you have to do is uh, keep up with technology and, and learn some of these uh, new things? Yeah, no, thank you for pointing. Yes, I mean, this is something so as well as talking to people and so on, I'm doing all the editing, I'm doing all the, um, uh, the motion uh, animation stuff. So yeah, you're right, there was the dancing skeletons uh, in the earlier versions of the titles and that's what's going on at the beginning of um but i've learned more motion skills since i've doing that i did a i had great fun with uh john cassia oh, nice. who is the voice of the crypt keeper yeah. crypt keeper uh a couple of weeks back and i thought oh i've got to do something that's based on the comic book and it was just having that fun of a looking up and trying to work out if I could get the chattering hour into a very similar font to the crypt, you know, yeah. the old EC comics. Mm -hmm. um, so I spent at least two or three hours trying to work out how to do that. And then I had to work out how to do the turning of a comic page whilst I still had videos of my, of John, myself, and our producer, my producer, Chris Rowe, talking as the comic book turned before you and uh, and so on. So yeah, I've been learning a lot actually about doing motion and Final Cut Pro. Um, so again, that's kind of been a steep learning curve as well, but I always enjoy learning things. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, this shirt has little dancing skeletons and I wore it. Oh, cool. This, but I was too cold. So I had to put a sweater on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the dancing skeleton. This was, um, uh, it, was just, it was originally an iOS app that I uh, found them, but it was that I was just so pleased that I managed to get the dancing skeletons to dance more or less in rhythm with the music. Um, and it's just like, yeah, they're actually kind of hitting the beat on this. I was so proud of myself for being able to do that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I know. So uh, you know, you always have a. You have a lot of independent artists on the show, and then you have, you know, uh, iconic horror people. And I don't want to say which you prefer, because that's kind of a silly question. But I, I like that you also like to promote, because I think that's important to promote the um, the independence and people that are upcoming. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what's really different between the two shows, because, of course, I stopped doing Chattering with Nicholas Vince yeah, nearly two years ago. In fact, mm -hmm. two years ago in December, in a couple of weeks, it'll be two years since I broadcast and that was very definitely aimed yeah, at the independence mm -hmm. um honestly I, I learned a lot of uh because you would suggest people to me you know <laughs> and then which is nice though you know because then you yeah. find you know people's work and you follow oh yeah. And, yeah no absolutely and, I, and i'm still a, you know big supporter of independent if I, when we come to doing talking about projects i've been working on this year are all independent uh uh, independent filmmakers so I've been working with them a lot over the last uh, with it two three two two different independent film companies did two films with one production company um, but I think that's what's really different between the two shows because I did a hundred and nearly 140 episodes of chattering with Nicholas fans this time around it's very definitely aimed at talking with people who've had a far more a established career i mean we're talking about malcolm mcdowell john cassier who i've just mentioned so most of the people i'm talking about talking to so far have been people who have got 
careers that have lasted 30, 40, and 50 years. Mm-hmm. In, in the, and so that's kind of looking at it from the other angle, if you like, you know, looking at it from the other end, saying, okay. And I think that's what I find really interesting is the fact that in all of these people, they've got something to teach you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I learned an awful lot from the guys I introduced, you know, interviewed on uh, the early incarnation on Chattering with Nicholas Vince. Um, I met some really interesting filmmakers who are doing that. This time, it's really interesting to listen to people. I was talking to uh, my guest this week, Brad Greenquist, um, who many of your uh, viewers are going to know from Pet Cemetery. And he was saying that something he'd been taught, um, there's an acting teacher called Meisner, and Meisner had said in his book that it takes 20 years to learn how to act. And I thought, I'd never heard of that before. That's absolutely fascinating. And he, and he was explaining why, you know, his experience and why that was true as far as he's concerned. Mm-hmm. Now, that's something you only get when you've Someone been acting been, for, you know, right. for a decade. Someone who's been two years would know, you know. That. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is what I like about this. You know, if you look about all the interviews and take them all together, you're going to learn something from lo- you know, lots of different people, basically. Yeah. That's what I personally like about long-form interviews in general, is uh, you get a, you know, maybe not their whole life, but you get glimpses into your life stories or you're going to learn something or, or both combined. And uh, there's something too about that, you know, you're immortalizing, you know, their story, at least, or at least part of their story. Yeah, I think, I think that's very true. I also, I was just thinking about, I love the long form as well. I also mm-hmm. thinking, I always get to the end of the hour and I think, oh, I just need another hour. I haven't got through, got through half the questions. Yeah. Um, and that's often because we kind of go off into a, you know, my producer and I, Chris Rowe, work really hard on the questions and thinking, okay, well, what are Fran's going to be interested in and what films have they done and what questions. And, but I kind of like also throwing in the mix, like, oh, well, that's, oh, I didn't know that before. Let me just delve a little deeper into this and pe- perhaps people haven't heard this before, haven't heard this particular yeah. And maybe story. they haven't talked about it before. Yeah, absolutely. I think there have been a couple of times. Uh, I think I was talking to Courtney Gaines as one of the guests, and he messaged uh, Chris afterwards. He's saying, before I'd spoken to Nick, I hadn't actually thought about a particular thing that he was saying when he was reflecting on his career. Uh, and he just not, it wasn't until we were actually having that conversation that it kind of popped into his head and, and so on. And I think it's those moments I, can, I find fascinating and I think people will find really interesting. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, Tris, do you have a question? I do. I also just want to say you had such a lovely speaking voice. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, truly. Um, like, <laughs> I never understand people that do, like, ASMR, but I'm listening to you. I'm feeling very cute right now. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, my question has nothing to do with that. I'm actually just wondering how you met uh, Clive Barker. Oh, I met Clive Barker. I, basically, I was invited to a party 
up in Crouch End. So basically, I was at drama school in a place called Crouch End in North London, uh, a theatre school called Mountview. And I was there with Simon Bamford, who played Butterball in Hellraiser. And I've always assumed it, I don't know, but I'm pretty certain that Simon must have invited me. Um, it's difficult to tell because basically this party would have happened a year or so after I left drama school, but I still had friends up in Crouch End, even though I'd moved back down south uh, of London by that stage. Um, I still knew plenty of people who lived up. And in fact, I was still working up there in an art shop. Um, but I got basically invited to a party. But as I say, I mean, Simon Bamford, when he left drama school, went to work with Clive's theatre company. So I've always assumed that the invitation to the party came via Simon Bamford. And um, I just met Clive there and we just fell to chatting, really. Um, and Neil mentioned in the introduction, former model. This is true. I, I modeled for Clive Barker. Um, that's one of the first things, that's one of the first ways that we worked together was I used to model for Clive. I ended up by modeling for a whole load of other uh, comic book artists as well. Dave McKean. Uh, I modeled for Dave McKean, a gentleman called John Bolton. Uh, I modeled for, and just because I think it was a really interesting thing to do, um, particularly when it's a part of a comic book because you're not just posing but you're posing it's kind of it's kind of frozen action it's frozen acting if you like it's like okay this is what you're trying to convey this is what's going on um i remember when i was working with dave mckean uh he's on a book called cages and he would just he used to come around to my house and photograph it He'd photograph, he'd take stills and he'd say, okay, this is what's happening in this shot, Nick. So it didn't actually give me a script. He'd just say, okay, this character is saying, your character is questioning this. He's talking to a guy. I remember one of them, he said, Nick, he's talking to a guy who's got a planetarium attached to his head. <laughs> he's got all these planets and so on. <laughs> Okay, and, he, and, and the guy's holding up. He's holding up pieces of card. I've not looked at the book for ages, um, but I remember it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, so I was very lucky. You know, from doing the modelling for uh, Clive Barker led on led on to modelling for uh, other people as well. Yeah, um, along with what uh, Trista said there about your voice, um, do you do any voice acting? Because uh, as she said, it is a great voice, and it would oh. really lend itself uh, well to a voice act. I haven't done for a long time. I find it terribly, terribly intimidating. I have to say, <laughs> I've the moment somebody says, "Okay, right, we'd like to record your voice." Yeah, that's, that's how my voice becomes. Um, yeah, I <clears throat> when I'm I'm fine when I'm just sitting and chatting to people and so on. Well, the moment you've mentioned my voice, I can feel my throat tightening up. And it's like, oh, no, no, don't say anything about my voice. <laughs> That's interesting. I'd love to. I'd love, funnily enough, I've just literally, just before I came on uh, the show this evening, I got a message uh, from a mate of mine saying that he wants, asked if I'd be interested in contributing to a, an online film festival. 
um, which I did earlier on, a guy called Mitch Howard, uh, the So Home uh, Horror fil- Film Festival, which I did earlier on when I um, did an excerpt from my one-man show, I Am Monsters, um, which I did earlier on. He's literally just read the message very quickly. He's asking, him, would you like to read a ghost story for Christmas? And I'm thinking, hell yes. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like a really good fun thing to do. Hello. Yeah. It's interesting you said that because I did a small part in a in a movie and it was uh, voice acting. And I talk a lot uh, on the shows every week. I do many podcasts. And uh, yeah, I had to f- and I played a radio DJ, so I thought, well, this will be easy. But I just had to keep recording it because I was like, oh, that doesn't. And then even when I would just start, I was, you pay more attention to your voice then than you do if you're just talking normally on the, sh- on the show or something. It, I don't know because do you edit the shows once you- – I know this is going out on Zoom. Right. Are you going to edit the show? Do you have to listen back to the podcast? Um, it depends what? on the show. Normally, not the live ones, but I, yeah. I have, uh, especially in the early days when before, like we would do live, and I would they just be recorded. Yeah, and yeah. I hate I hate hearing my own voice back. Oh, it's it's honestly the the, the last couple of months because we started October the eighth on the chattering hour. So I've edited um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Uh, yeah, I've done about a dozen shows, and it's it's mortifying. You just think, keep your hands still, Nick. Just try and keep your hands still whilst you're talking. And of course, I could forget within two or three minutes. Um, and then you think, oh no, and oh gosh, because like it's doing the the um intros and the outros which i record separately from the actual interviews themselves um there's a this week on the chattering hour i'm joined by there's all those and it's like i noticed that my takes have gone from like trying to record 30 seconds it used to take me about six to eight minutes i'm getting it down to around about two or three minutes of takes now before i find something that i'm happy with but you just so self-conscious yeah. and self-critical in these things yeah it's really it is a weird uh, thing you know i don't you know it's not something i talk about a lot with people so <laughs> yeah it's and tough you, yeah you mentioned I Am Monsters, which we talked about before. And mm. um, I know originally, like, the idea was you were going to try to take it to some conventions. And obviously, things have changed right now. So yeah. are there any plans to do anything, you know, different with it? Like, either in video on demand or something virtual? I th- I mean, I've kind of talked about it. I've been talking with my manager, uh, Chris, about it as well. Really, I kind of was like, okay, 2020 didn't happen, which is, I think, how most of us feel. Um, you know, we get a do-over. It's like, I love the fact that the Tokyo Olympics are still going to be 2020 Olympics. Right. And that's kind of why the way I'm thinking about life at the moment. Um, so in my mind, everything I had planned for this year, I'm kind of shifting it forward to next year in the right. hopes that, you know, who knows what's going to go on. But the aim is that, because I, I don't know, the the thing is, I'm not sure what is. I'm sure it's the same over there. There are so many small theaters that are, have closed. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because I have two, you know, that I'd go to a lot in Boston, and they're still there. But you know, and they've been there since like the 20s. But it doesn't, you know, it's kind of touch and go. Like if they're going to ever reopen, I know I'm, to pay the bills. And- yeah, I mean, just to keep literally, you know, referring to just to keep the lights on whilst nothing, and you've got no income. If you've not got a government or 
a sponsor's support, then how on earth do you, you know, you manage to do this? I was, there was, I was watching something earlier on. They're going to be doing, I think it's this weekend, possibly, they're going to be doing a live broadcast with uh, Judy Dench, Ian McKellen, in support of theatre, actors, backstage crew, and so on. Um, and, you know, they're selling tickets for £45 a time. Uh, and I think, I can't afford that. Um, I'd love to support um, I, and come to think of it, I'm one of the people suffering as well. Um, but I, I, you know, it's just, I, who knows what it's going to be like. But again, I was talking to a lady called Lynn Griffin, who was in um, Black Christmas. Uh, and she was saying that during the pandemic, she and her uh, husband, Sean, they've started doing, you know, they were going to do theatre shows which have suddenly become radio shows, um, which is great, but it's trying to monetize these things. Yeah. And as a, you know, to come back to the original question, I'm still hoping that sometime I'm going to be able to, you know, there, is an, there was an offer that was supposed to be happening in August of this year, and that obviously didn't happen. So I'm hoping they're going to hold it over for August of next year. Um, and we're just going to have to see. But I really would like, you were talking about, you know, if we do it online or something, I think it would be interesting to do it just purely, in, as I'd say, I mentioned for the So Home Horror Festival earlier on, I did an excerpt, I filmed an excerpt just on a phone. Um from I Am Monsters, which got a very, very good response. But I kind of feel that I need an audience for it to really fly. Right. For somebody to, you know, there's something about having, you know, it's like whenever you see the comedy specials done on Amazon, yeah, Prime, etc. There's something about having an audience there, particularly as the show's funny, you know, right, right. getting you there. I need an audience. Because yeah. you want to I think have even a- watching uh, comedy, if you're not there live, but if you watch something that's been recorded with a live audience, you still get some of that feeling. And if it's not there, you're, you're just laughing to yourself, and it's a weird, uh, am yeah. I laughing at the right things? Or, but, you know, you can feel the audience there. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, I mean, it, a laughter track is not the same. No. no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to add that into the podcast. No, yeah. <laughs> I'll supply it. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. It'll be a VO gig. Yeah, absolutely. Do a VO gig. This is what you should do. You know, the normal thing podcasters do is say, could you just do a quick shout out? Just get everybody to laugh um, at the end of the thing and just yeah. clip, you know, edit together everybody's laugh. <laughs> laugh. Idea. Yeah. yeah, I might do that for my show. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I like that. Uh, you know, you would know that it's uh, who's laughing, but not everyone else knows. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I, and I like the idea of having guest laughter. Can you can you name that laugh? That'd be a great comedy quiz. Yeah, yeah. can you name yeah. that laugh? I'll name that laugh in three chuckles or something like that. Right. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned you know doing the modeling, mm. and that can't you know, and you met Clive Barker and everything. So all the and I, you know, I kind of had fun with all the different things you had that you've done uh, when I int- introduced you. But mm. 
Um, I don't want to say which is your favorite, but do all of them uh, have a con- like a, a connection? Like, are they all some type of uh, cre- creative uh, outlet for you? I think they are. Do you know what? I, <laughs> this is going to sound so weird. I was thinking about this um, yesterday because we redid the garden yesterday. And by saying redid the garden, I met my husband and I, Craig, I was applying weed killer to some ground elder that we've got. And you have to literally paint it onto the leaves uh, to make sure you don't. And we're moving some stuff. And I was, he was doing all the heavy lifting and so on. And it's like, it's like okay, yeah, and we need to put this pot here. That's just not, you know, that's died off now. We need to make, and I looked at that and I thought, yeah, I've just done the painting in the back garden, basically. <laughs> it's just kind of like, oh, actually, I feel kind of, I've had my creative fix now. I've done something visual and and so on. Yeah, I think there are different parts of my brain that light up depending on what it is I'm actually doing because I've been doing some, again, that was something else I started doing during the pandemic was I created a red bubbles shop with some silly cartoons, life of a dog, um, because I, you know, there was me, my husband and the dog, uh, living at home in the lockdown earlier on the year, just thinking, I wonder what the dog thinks about everything. And I was thinking, what's going on in the dog's mind? He's like, Obviously, he's watching us too, and it's like, what's his view of what's going on? Um, so I put some silly cartoons together, and I started doing some Hellraiser and some Chashra stuff, and so on. Because I've always really enjoyed visual arts and doing um, stuff, and, and I keep wanting. I've got some beautiful oil pastels, which I've just not had a chance to kind of really break out and learn how to do properly. So I think. Yeah, but then there's another little part of my brain that lights up when I'm writing, um, and that turn of phrase, and you th- just think, and this character, and there's a short story I've been working on for a while. Again, everything kind of got pushed to one side when I started doing the chattering out. Um, but I try to get back to doing some more writing, and then one of the short stories I'm working on at the moment is, a, you know, it's the the life of a 16-year-old boy, trying to remember what that's like when I was 16 years ago, 16 years old, which is a long time ago now, um, but also what it's like to be a 16-year-old boy now because that is completely different. Yeah, the internet would change that a lot, I would think. Yeah, yeah I, I think, and social media and whatever it is, you know, and all the stuff and your accessibility of, to things, but also uh, the end of the day although our brains are shaped by our are literally physically shaped by our experiences um the way we think we're still human beings at the end of the day mm-hmm. you know pray to the same insecurities and fears and ambitions and desires and lusts and so on um so i you know i think so that's and again, that's just a little different part of my brain that writes up and think, oh, yeah, that's a word and, and so on. And, that, and then if I rephrase it like this or if I, re, if I move that word here, and does that sound better? And then, of course, there's the speaking part and so on. So 
Yeah, it's just a mess up here, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's the gist of the story, is it? Yeah, it's it's a whole <clears throat> heap of mess up here, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought of uh, taking any of your short stories or your yeah your short stories and um, either making a short movie or you know doing a screenplay off them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I in fact wrote her. And I've got the first draft of a screenplay for. Um, one of the short stories from the first volume. Um, again, which just got pushed to one side when the pandemic happened and, it, and then the short story. It, I'm, an, I'm a very bad completer of things I've decided. I know. <laughs> I, guess. <the> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can complete things. I do, you know, I, there is art, actually art up on the red bubble. But of course, there's never as much as you. There's all these things, the team in your head. Oh, yeah, and there's that and there's that picture. And it's just like, if I could actually manage to get it from that picture that's in its in your head into a physical space, that would just be marvelous because then I would be incredibly, <laughs> incredibly productive. Yeah. Um, part of the problem is I just get distracted. I'll get so far with something and go, oh, well, there's a thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to be working on art. Oh, it's not going very well. I'll go off and I'll do something else and I'll do, do some writing and so on. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd really love to. I'd really love to do. Um, there's a great werewolf sh uh, short story from the first volume of the uh, uh, called Family Tree, um, which I would love to see made as a feature film. Um, you never know. I, you know, Lord knows what might happen next year. Right, it's right. Thing, you know, something might happen. Um, I, it'd be really nice. It'd be really nice if somebody took one of my short stories. Saying, yeah, I think we can make something out of this. That'd be fun. Yeah. I, I started listening to the Books of Blood uh, audio when I walk. I listen to audiobooks, uh, the Clyde Barker ones. And um, mm. and some of those have obviously been made into movies. But uh, some of them that have, I always wonder, some of them I wonder, like, why wasn't this ever made into a movie? Like, it's a really great story. And uh uh, is there anything that, that not that you've written, but that you've, uh, if someone else has written that you've read and you would think, well, I'd like to make this or be in this? I think it's probably going, anything by Clive, obviously. I mean, those are always a given. I'd love to see in the hills, the cities. Um, I actually, I, that's in my note, is that's the, the, the one story that I was like, this should be something. I think it would work best as an animated because I don't know if you could visit, if you could actually shoot uh, shoot it like live action without a lot of money or something. But well, I, but then again, it's really interesting. I was funny enough. I was watching the Call of the Wild, uh, the one with the you know Harrison right. Ford and a dog, a CGI. I'm sold. Um, I'll watch that movie, um, and just looking at what they managed to achieve with that, and I think what they managed to achieve with tv but then you know you look at things like um like, uh, game of thrones or something game of thrones or what's the recent uh, star trek discovery mm -hmm. um again huge budget budgets netflix etc funnily enough one of i was mentioning john bolton earlier on um when they did the comic book versions of the Books of Blood, that was always my favorite comic book adaptation of one of Clive's stories was uh, John Bolton's um, In the Hills, 
explicit. It's I'm not. I, I have to check that out because yeah, I just listened to that recently, and I'm really uh, like obsessed with that story. I love it. I yeah, text to Trist though. I was like, this is my favorite story so far in these. Yeah, I, I just think it would just be. I mean, it's huge, and for anybody who hasn't, you know, we're not really um, giving it too much of a game away. It's just like you know, you have these huge, huge uh, constructs made up of many, many people. Um, and I think, funnily enough, what I'm reminded of, and there are, there are certain passages in the book where they talks about what happened, the way these structures fail. And of course, Clive just talks about how the particular person is feeling right at the, the center of, and why and what's going on and so on, which reminds me of... Um, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings and one of the battles where he actually doesn't spend a lot of time looking at the battle. He spends a lot of time with the camera on the people left in the castle that's being defended. And in the same way, Clive, when he was doing Nightbreed, concentrated a lot on the, mo- on the creatures, the Nightbreed who are left below ground rather than the ones who are up doing the fighting and, and so on. I think it's one of those short stories where for it to work really well, you have to have both the microcosm and the macrocosm. You've got to see these vast creatures that are being created in the story. But it's also got to be the story of, A, the tourists. I think that's what I love about um, that short story. Um and I'm just trying to edit something in the back of my mind to work out whether or not I can say something. I'll assume that I can't, therefore I won't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If it's something Clive had told me or something I'd read that Clive Clive had said about that particular short story. Um, But yeah, it's it's a wonderful short story. It's a great short story. Like you said there, I think the real horror of it would be the, the smaller bits. Like the individual yeah. people in in the monster, and the the yeah. one tourist who uh, is very fascinated by it, which yeah, all of yeah, that I, 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 yeah, I think you you've got to you've got to it's the tourists, and then the town and the people in the town and what's going. We're writing this script as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're actually doing a treatment for a movie. You understand? It's like okay, um, this is how I'd film that, and this is what that shot would look like and then i can see a kind of an narrow twisty <laughs> street which is probably very narrow yeah and then people and people sitting outside in the sun talking to each other and there's a buzz about them and then these strangers just happen to come across and and so yeah yeah i i do that i'm sure it's already been done yeah, uh, uh, you have another question I'm wondering if you can talk about the challenges of working essentially blind on Hellraiser. Yeah, I, th- I think one of those things about that is the it's trying to humanize something where your normal actor skills are not available to you. Let me see if I can try and rephrase that. It's approaching the character in a different way. I was talking to Neil earlier on about the way that different parts of my brain light up dependent on what type of creativity I'm doing. If I'm acting, then I'm thinking about the character. I'm thinking about the backstory. How did they come to be here? Um, 
what's the situation, what's their motivation, why are they doing it. Kind of when I was doing the Chatterer, I didn't really have that much to go on. Literally, there was just the look of the character um, and so on. And then there was the physicality of the costume and the makeup. And you say, not really being able to see when I was working. Um, therefore, it became almost like mime, but with your eyes closed. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay... I've got to, it was very much like trying to remember how to dance, how to remember, to learn steps. Because basically, once they worked out that I really couldn't see very much, and I couldn't really hear what they were telling me, they worked out that what they had to do was to bring me onto set before we did the shot. Um because normally what you do with actors, you know, they tend to bring actors on to, depending on how the shoot's running and the setup, et cetera, you know, you'll go on to set pretty much within half an hour when you're going to be able to shoot. You might be able to get a chance to have a look at set uh, and see where you're going to be acting, but actually get on set and walk through the paces. You'll not be able to do that until until they've blocked it out and then, then may need another half an hour, 45 minutes or something to relight it. And then you'll shoot. Um, but what they tended to do to begin with was just bring me up in full makeup. And I had no idea what was going on around me, where I was, about, where I was supposed to be looking or anything like that. So they kind of had to accommodate me. Um, and then it was just a question of saying, okay, so I now they're now bringing me on set without the makeup on so I can see exactly what it is. We talk it through. Then they work out, okay, so you're not, you're going to be blind. I find we'll put a sandbag down at your feet so that as you walk forward, you know, when your foot touches that sandbag, that's when you stop and you chat at your teeth or you, you know, uh, do whatever action is required of you or just, you know, one of the pieces of act, hold on to Ashley for dear life. Because <laughs> she's going to struggle and try and get away from me. You've got to be this big, strong and thinking, she's so much stronger than me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it, was the, it becomes a different type. I, a, a fan once said it was a very measured performance and i think yeah it's very measured because literally you're working within the same for simon bamford who was playing butterball you're and you know, and the same for doug and and uh, grace on the first film barbie on the second film playing the female there are physical restrictions to what it is uh you're doing we were talking about you mentioned star trek discovery the one um Oh, God, my mind has just gone blank for the actor's name. But the character's name is Saru in Star Trek Discovery, played by the actor who was in Shape of Water. Pan's oh, uh, Doug Jones? Thank you, Doug Jones. Uh, th thank you, Backup Brain. Um, yeah, and it's like I was watching uh, Doug play Saru in um, Star Trek Discovery, and you just have to look at his feet. 
his it's because he's wearing very high heels and that throws his body off in a particular way and Doug's obviously a very tall slim guy yeah. anyway and he's got this wonderful way of moving so that every movement movement ends right just beyond the end tips of his fingers um he's so elegant and so beautifully controlled uh, it's a real dancer's uh, uh, movement and I think it's that thing you know a lot of the character and that is dictated about the physical you know the costume and that's the same for all actors whenever they you know we do period women particularly when they have to wear um, the lace up girdles and, uh, and, and so on that I mean, you can, or even the men where you're having to wear a waistcoat, it means you have to breathe in a certain way, and that all those things will contribute to a performance. Interesting. I thought about you recently. Uh, last week we interviewed uh, the cast of Blind, new horror movie, and uh, the uh, the main act, well, not the main actor, but the actor who plays the, uh, the villain, his mask had no eye holes, and he was talking about being led around, and I thought, oh, it's very much like the chatter. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. He has my deepest, deepest sympathy. <laughs> he really does. Yeah. So um, after you did Hellraiser and Hellbound, how much did uh, Hellraiser and Chatterer mean to you until uh, the internet came around? Like, did it have the same effect on you? Gosh, that's a very good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before in that context. That, I, I suppose that, hmm, prior to the internet, I mean, there was a 10-year anniversary when I was brought across, when I went across to Boston for a 10-year Hellraiser anniversary, and then I kind of got to understand how much Hellraiser meant to people. And of course, back in those days, then you had fans, organizations, you had fanzines, mm -hmm. you had people had physical mailing lists where they would put a photocopied magazine. You remember these, Neil? I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I also know from my wrestling uh, uh, fandom, it was also big in the wrestling world, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, where you get these kind of like um, legal folded over in half and yeah. these little booklets would come in the mail. Um, and people would phone you up, you know, they've managed to trace, and they might get, they might... I must have supplied interviews where I basically physically had to type it up and then put it in the post to people and then they would replicate it in their fanzine. I'm sure I did one of those, uh, one or two of those back in the day. And then kind of, well, I remember the, <laughs> I remember my first Google. Uh, I'm sure we all did the same thing. We Google our own name. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and, and literally, I said, this is what, 98, 99, something like this. I remember, because I was working in a, a computer company uh, by then. And I remember the guys just saying, and I, and I was saying to the guys, like, oh, that's right, they wanted to create an intranet in the company. And I had to say to my, you know, all these young guys who'd just come out of university, I said, What's an intranet? And it was like the internet, but within the company. What's, okay, I've heard of the internet. Okay, quick aside. Um, 
before the internet, there was that you used to have to go to the British Library in London. I was doing some research for Clive for one of his books, and he wanted to know about um, particular trees and which plants and animals were becoming extinct. Um, I've got the name Galilee. Was it for Galilee? Can't quite remember what it was for, but I remember having to book time to go to the British Library, for which you needed a library British Library card, which was very difficult to get hold of. You had to be recommended by people and, you know, people of standing in the community and so on before you could get one of these things. That's all I knew about an internet. And then, of course, um, this many years later in like in 99, they just say, yeah, put your name in and see. Yeah. And like, oh, wow. Oh, gosh. Hellraiser, Chatra. Oh, and, and they've republished some, somebody's typed up one of my, sh- you know, a couple of short stories about the Chatra, funnily enough, mm-hmm. um, that had been published in magazines back in the early 90s, um, actually, sorry, end of the 80s, um, and somebody had retyped these things, and that's, that was me on the internet. So I guess that was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's, that's weird. That's very weird. Yeah, it is wild. The internet. I think it's here to stay too. People think it's a fad. <laughs> Until we all get so pissed off with it, realize what an evil, evil thing Facebook is. And he says he's constantly on Facebook. I'm, um, I'm right with not- you. I know. I say it all the time on the show. Then I think, oh yeah, I'm on there all the time. But- yeah. No, I, I, I'm not. In fact, I've hardly been on since we started doing the chattering out because I'm. Not- I'm really bad. We've got somebody, fortunately for the chattering hour, we have somebody looking out and making all the posts. uh, And it's like, I feel really bad because I'm not responding to people and I really should do stuff on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or, you know, just on my own profiles uh, to promote the show. Because, of course, that's how you communicate. Yeah. Yeah, you know, especially if you have a project, you know, you have to, yeah. you have to have a presence on the internet. So. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah, absolutely, definitely. I can't see it going away soon. I mean, no. the fact that we've been able to consult our vet during lockdown, I've had phone consultations which I've booked online with my doctor during lockdown. You know, it's it's. Yeah, so I, I recently had a, my first. Uh, it wasn't Zoom, but it was something like Zoom. Uh, uh, visit with my doctor for an upcoming thing, yeah. but it was weird. It's so that you know, it, it's I did it right in front of this too, which I thought was kind of funny. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late, Neil. They already knew, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I do want to say there's a lot of positivity on the internet. Uh, you know, I like our community stuff, but it's sometimes it's hard to uh, to look at that because there is so much negativity that it, it it's just human nature. I think sometimes to let the negativity. Uh, I, I think, I think what, what I find fascinating is, you know, anti-vaxxers. Now, I, wherever you stand on this, mm-hmm. just remember that the guy who said that vaccines for the MRI, which caused autism, etc., was proved to be a liar and in the pay of a pharmaceutical company that had a, was trying to sell a drug. He was stripped of his license and his ability to practice medicine. And yet 
people will always believe that that you know that somebody is out to get you. And the trouble is, you know, and as a result of this, diseases which we had previously conquered and I thought we're not going to be coming back yeah. are making a comeback because yeah, people crazy. are not getting the getting the I get it. I really understand you want to know, you want to do the best for your child. You really want to do the best for your child. But our trouble is, is I think we're, and I think this is what is so horrifying, not on just in your country, but my com- country throughout the world. It's the old adage that um, a lie will be halfway around the world before the truth has got its boots on. Is It's so easy to spread disinformation. Mm-hmm. You know, QAN, QAnon. People just want to believe that the reason that they're suffering is because it's somebody else's fault. That is human nature, sadly. And all the internet has done is amplify that and give a voice and allow that to be constantly re in, you know, it's not, you are a victim. You are unable to, you know, this, you, this, you have no choice. You know, it's incredibly disempowering. And oddly enough, when you disempower somebody, you can be sure as eggs as eggs, the power is going to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is exploiting that, exploiting that. In fact, I was talking to um, Brad Greenquist earlier on, and he was talking about the book, um, the brother Karam, the brothers Karamazov, um, which, as he points out, is 800 pages of Russian literature, um, which I have not read. Um, I kind of know the stories. I've heard dramatizations of them as well. But he's saying there's one part of the book is about the you know the Inquisitor, who Jesus comes back and the Inquisitor just says, "It's great to have you back, but we no longer believe in you." And it's like I think. The power is all with the other guy. And because we've discovered that we don't need you anymore, basically we can run things. We can hold all the power ourselves. And this is what people want to do. And I think this is the evil of the internet. And and then here endeth the lesson. Yeah, I agree 100% with all this. It's really weird for me to even think about. Uh, yeah. And I've seen people say, like, uh, back in when I was a kid or whatever, like, you didn't have to get your vaccines like you do today. And I was like, that's not true at all. I remember, like, you couldn't, I couldn't go to school unless you had, unless you're up to date with all your, yeah. your vaccines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I, just, I mean, you know, the positivity of the internet, you know, like doing what we're doing now, the fact I'm able to collaborate with my manager i'll have a production meeting tomorrow night there in los angeles i'm here in london mm-hmm. um the guests i am speaking to are most are in america the, one, the ones i've been interviewing so far are in america either east or west coast you know that's all to that could not happen and i think there is so much and there are so many good ideas out there um reasonable I- ideas out there um so yeah, I think it can be incre- it can be a tremendous power, but you just have to look at who's running it and who who's hiding behind free speech. Is the question I tend to find myself asking. Who's yes, just who's hiding behind that idea of free speech and so on. and also just downright lies. Just I'm talking about my government in particular. Um, 
we have a prime minister who lies, who completely lies to parliament. We have no they, idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and Brazil may feel, you know, Brazilians may feel the same, the same and it, it's, you know, it's straight out of anyway we we don't people don't want to listen to what yes complain <laughs> yes beating my drum <laughs> Let's Trista, you, have, you have another question yeah yeah um yeah sure i can change the subject but but i do think uh, people want to listen to it because i think people are angry and, and fed up and um and you know there's a lot of smart people who and a lot of empathetic people and what you're saying is important so thank you for saying that. that's my pleasure um so I, I'm wondering if you're a fan of horror movies, and if so, what are some of your favorite ones? I am a fan of horror movies. Um, I, I have this kind of love-hate relationship with them because I'm I'm so easily scared. Um, I literally every mate who's ever been to uh, Fright Fest where Neil has you know the. Yeah. Um, the last the time lot, I yeah. saw you in person, yeah, it was a- yeah, the last time you saw me in person. Just be very grateful you weren't sitting next to me in any film where there was a <laughs> scary bit, because I will have jumped out of my seat, um, and I scream and I yelp and I go, <laughs> "Oh God!" That's part of the fun of horror movies with people because yeah. there is an interaction uh, with the crowd. Same with comedy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So I think that's you know one of the things. Is it's, uh, some of my favorites, um, Roger Corman. Edgar Allan Poe, Vincent Price. Um, I, I, it's terrible. I tend to think immediately of the classics. I mean, I love Nightmare on Elm. It's very interesting because, of course, I've been watching, because I've been researching for the guests. Uh, for example, I had not watched Pet Cemetery before. Oh really? Um, I, no, I'd never I see seen one it. of my one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant, and I think Brad Green could, and it's it's really fascinating because this is, um, Denise Crosby is in it, and um, and it's like I've met Denise a couple of times, and it's like okay, uh, and it's like oh my God, that kid, that three year old boy who was just oh, awesome, right. and he's yeah. Just, amazing, yeah, you know, Miko, and it's just like wow, he is awesome. Um, that what an extraordinary performance from a child. Yeah. Is just, now I want to play with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it is, it's absolutely fascinating. And so I think I, I'm getting to. This is one of the fun things of the show. Is actually I'm now getting to see, and it's the reason was because I didn't really have a DVD or a Blu-ray. Um, I kind of missed so much stuff. Um, in the last 20 odd years craig my husband really isn't into horror movies so we tend not you know i have to watch them by myself and i have difficulty watching horror movies by <laughs> myself because i get so scared um i have to have all the lights on and i have to, i have to watch the film to the very end so other favorites um so and i'm just thinking black christmas which i realized i must have seen more or less when it came out um I thought that was really interesting watch again, but definitely Pet Cemetery. It's like, of course, I'm now going through, like, through it. I'm looking at that. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I've obviously seen the number of times and I've always loved, I mean, that was the one that I was literally saw in a cinema once and couldn't walk home. Just so scared of, of Freddy and so on. Jeepers Creepers. Um, 
that first I'd watched that again. I must have, I think I probably saw it when it came out in the cinema, but again, watched it recently because I was introducing, uh, inter- interviewing Jonathan Breck, who plays the creeper. Um, and I just thought, oh, wow, this is really good. And, you know, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. And again, uh, watching the work of Tracy Lords, um, uh, Nancy Loomis, and, you know, how, The Fog. I'd not seen The Fog again since I'd watched it originally. I thought, oh, wow, yeah, this is a really, really good film. No one, And I think what I'm really beginning to, no wonder people love these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, obviously bringing more up to date and I'm still stuck in the 1980s, <laughs> 90s. Yeah. Uh, I know you're interviewing Brad Greenquist, but what I like about, uh, Pas- Pascal is, um, everyone in the movie seems like doomed. There's, there's a like, dread over the whole film, but then the, the, the undead guy, well, not undead guy, but like the ghost, he's the most positive character in the whole movie, which I think brings like a sense of like, even you know you might die and everything but that's not the worst that can happen you know and that you know thing you know so don't try to you know don't be bringing the cat and and the sun back like you know well, things will be okay yes i mean i think it's i remember funnily enough i not well i think one of the reasons i'd not seen the film was because my next door neighbor I'm talking back when I was making Nightbreed and Hellraiser had told me that, that she was a huge Stephen King fan until she read Pet Cemetery, And she didn't read any of his work after that because it involved children. And she had a very young daughter. Um, and she said, you know, he always said he'd never talk, he'd never use children like that, mm-hmm. you know, the death of children for entertainment's sake. Mm-hmm. But of course, now, having watched the film, I get that that's not what King is talking about. It's, you know, and it is interesting. It didn't come up in the conversation with Brad today, but I remember reading that um, he, he played the ghost as if it was an angel rather than a ghost. Mm-hmm. You know, he's playing it as if it's a guardian angel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and it comes across. He was talking about, you know, he talked about it from a different aspect when we were talking about it this evening. But yeah, it, it's 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 a great film. It's a it really, is, yeah. really, and totally. with wonderful performances throughout. As I've got Fred Gwynn. Oh my God, Fred Gwynn. Yeah, yeah, he's tremendous in the movie. Yeah, mm. a man's heart, Estonia. He's got a great a main accent in the movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. As Brad was saying, you know, he kind of he's the spine of that movie. Yeah, and being um, from New England, sometimes I do. I'm very harsh on on New England accents, and especially <laughs> a really bad Boston accent. So it'll take me out of a movie. But uh, he he nails the main accent, <laughs> the maniacs as we call them here in Massachusetts. And they call us massholes in Massachusetts. Okay, how nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a rivalry between Maine and Massachusetts for some reason. Uh, yeah, this this is this, this reminds me of something that Clive said when we were doing Nightbreed and so on. The trouble with human beings is they will insist on forming tribes, and the trouble with tribes is they always inevitably they be, fall into conflict. Mm-hmm. The moment you, and again, it's an incredibly human thing from my view. Is like we 
have to have a feel, sense of belonging. You know, family is the obvious immediate tribe that we are normally, most of us, are lucky enough to bo- you know, be born into, or unlucky in some instances, but most of us are lucky enough to be born into a family. And that is the first tribe. And then we have the tribe at school, and then there are the little cliques within schools, and then, and then there's my school against your school, and then it's, it's all this, this thing of competition and and so on i remember um i studied buddhism for a long time and um one of the uh teachers was one of the teachings was the fact that we know we need to teach our children to compete in being better human beings not to compete in win- beating the other guy down and destroying them but actually you know, the competition has to be in becoming a better human being. And we were talking about our, situ- our relative political situation. That's exactly what I was thinking about when you're saying that, because it has become like beat, beat the other guy at all costs, no matter yeah, yeah. how it's wrong or not. For me to be right, you have to be wrong. There is no, you know, I'm a Gemini. I, you know, I'm completely comfortable with holding two completely opposite sense, you know, views and just thinking, yeah, I can see that from that side. I can see, you know, it's just like, that's the way my mind works. It's like, okay, well, that's it from this angle. Yeah, but I can understand that. I don't know. In fact, I kind of feel that, but just as much, but my head says that, my heart says this. There's a little bit of a bit, both and so on. We're talking about doing positive things is I've joined uh, the Green Party in this country, which is our, literally the political party of ecologists in this country um, because I thought I can't just complain. I can't just stand by and do nothing mm-hmm. because it's all been very weird because of course I've not met anybody because it's all been online, but I've been, you know, I was watching an absolutely fascinating um, webinar earlier this week where Wales, lovely little Wales, uh, independent country within this very small island, um, put, uh, they, they bought through a law that states you have to consider the impact on future generations. So for every piece of legislation, you have to think about what is the impact on the future generations. Not just the next six months, not just until the next election, and will this idea get me elected or this act get me elected? Is it popular now? Mm-hmm. Is this what people are asking for now? You have to think about what about the children and future generations? Is this policy sustainable? Is it going to help us going forward? Is it going to protect the planet going forward? And I just thought this is such, I'd never come across this idea before. And I just think, Oh yeah, that makes so much sense. That you know, and, and this is something that's important that we should be thinking about. And it's, it's just like I mean, I look at any of the current leaders at the moment on in, in the main political parties, and I just think I'm not saying you're an evil person. I just think you're blinkered. I just think you're, you know, your short termism. You just. And a lot of the time you are just purely interested, you're purely in this for your mate, for you and your mates, basically, Mm -hmm. 
the PPE contract that's going to go to Yotnate over here or your vaccination program that's going to go over here. Yeah, we've got systems set up, but no, we're going to outsource it to these people who are supposedly experts over here. And we're going to start this thing. Yeah, I've got to become part of a political party and it's going to be a green party. Um, it's going to take a long time, I suspect. <laughs> and hopefully we survive that long for it to all to work. Right, yeah. Uh, I want to ask you a few questions here from because uh, a lot of people send them in from Facebook, so I'd like to get to a couple of them. Yes. Uh, Ken Craver wants to know, um, if asked, would you ever consider reprising the role of Chatterer? Yes, but he'd have to be a very post-lockdown Chatterer with a much larger belly than I had. <laughs> I did actually, a couple of years ago, I did actually get down to my waist size being more or less what it was. I'll say, yeah, you look great when I saw it, and you look great right now, too. Yeah, thank you. But yeah, no, I put on, I've, I've definitely post lockdown <laughs> put on so much weight. Lockdown is my excuse. Um, yes, I. I remember you wearing yeah. your husband's vest that uh, in Texas in uh, in Texas in uh, Oh yeah in yeah London. yeah no absolutely yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, yes I would if if honestly it, to be honest if Clive Barker was involved mm-hmm. if Clive was behind it then hell yes whatever Clive asked me to do I'm going to do I'm such a pushover <laughs> <laughs> You still keep in contact? Yes. Yeah oh, yeah 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 he's doing well. He's doing very well. Lots of exciting stuff happening for him recently, which I'm so pleased about. And I've not had a chance to see you talk about Books of Blood, the new Hulu series. We can't see it over here as far as I can oh, understand it. Yeah. I'm just like, I want to watch the Books of Blood. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Trista got to see it at the drive-in, which was very cool. Oh, wow. Wow. Very, very Yeah, cool. it was awesome. <laughs> uh, Brandon wants to know, uh, when working with Clive and reading the scripts, uh, did you ever have a moment of, uh, what the F or something being too far? <laughs> <laughs> if I've understood the question, did I ever look at the script and think, is this going too far? Yes, yes. Um, oh, gosh, that's really interesting. <laughs> okay, right. Okay, I'm really hoping there are no children um, uh, watching this. Is it, I tell this story in the one-man show. Clive showed me images from... I always have to think really piercing fans international quarterly quarterly oh, yeah, international, international. Yes. Yeah. I've probably mentioned this before. <laughs> and you think you said, Nick, this is what is inspired. I'm thinking, Oh my God, what the hell? <laughs> um, I was, I'm not doing that. Um, okay. I think <laughs> it was so groundbreaking. I think Hellraiser was so transgressive but also so liberating for so many people. And, and, and through it, I met an awful lot of people in the, you know, the bondage scene that I was just not aware of when, you know, when um, before all this kind of happened and so on. It's like, oh, wow, this is cool. And these are really nice people. And this is all very, very interesting. And, and so on. Did I ever look at the script and going, what the hell are we going on? Kind of, but it was Clive, and I'd known Clive for three years. I'd read the books of blood, and I was just so pleased to be part of it. And it was so exciting, to be honest. 
it was just so exciting. I kind of didn't, I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's my own personal opinion. I do think a lot of the later uh, Hellraisers that have come out recently, I think that they really missed that whole part of uh, what makes Hellraiser, uh, Hellraiser. There's, they really like, uh, miss like the, the, the weird sexual aspects of, uh, of the original Hellraiser films. That's really, I'm not a lot, I've not watched a lot of the recent ones, I have to say. Mm-hmm. um to be able to to judge and i think it's very difficult to just how far can you go with that i mean it was pretty extreme mm-hmm. um i mean i'm so used to watching it and then i realize people who've not seen it might right, right. may find that the way people are pierced and and females and about doing that with her with Mm-hmm. very disturbing yeah, and very very unsettling mm-hmm. um I, I i kind of get that you know i forget that some because i'm you know, kind of inured to it over the years but yeah i'd be interested good point though how far do you go with it because if yeah. you do go further than the original one then you're making like maybe an adult film or you know yeah, yeah, but it's precisely. there where like you don't it's, necessarily have to know it's there uh, no. to still enjoy hellraiser I think it's kind of one of the challenges, you know, one of the challenges of, 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 of doing that, which is why, again, I'd love to see the, the, be interested to see what they've done with the books of blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek Neal, a mutual friend of ours, other, other than his own, what films does he consider required viewing for up and coming filmmakers? Oh, wow. Oh gosh. That's very, for up and coming filmmakers what what films do i okay i would go back to roger corman and this sounds really weird because they were made so long ago but roger corman was the original independent filmmaker i think it's worth reading his book how i made a thousand movies in hollywood and never lost a dime just because he talks about you know the fact that they had a forest firing los angeles and he drove through it on his way to the, you know, the studio and they were making um, Fall of the House of Usher. He said, right, grab the camera crew, grab, grab the actor, grab the horse. We're going to do the opening shot of the movie. Um, that whole idea of, you know, you work with what you've got, but still strive for the highest possible value, production value. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look at the Roger Corman ones. Have a look at the Suska sisters. Have a look at dead hooker in a trunk. Um, have a look at American Mary. Have a, you know, and just look at the way, but particularly again, for up and coming dead again, it's that thing of like, okay, that mortgage, the house to give them the money to make it. And what can I do? It's, it's the importance of story. Just see if you can find story. You know, if, you, if you've got a really, 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 really strong story, you can get away with so much in terms of visuals. So you can't get away with lacking good sound. Sound will turn people off more than bad visuals. Bad visuals can be explained away as art. Um, you can hide them in shadows. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, and you can, you know, this is what you do with a cheap. It's like, and as I was talking to Lynn Griffin uh, the other day, and she was saying, you know, it's like, the shadows are scarier 
what you can't see mm-hmm. than what in, in why, you know it's hard to capture a lot of times a a, a very scary book in yeah. visuals because you can't yeah because it's all, like, visualize it's all what you're reading yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah I'd, I'd start with roger corman and then more recently definitely the Soska sisters the work of the Soska sisters yeah just the, also about the shadows, I think um, sometimes, not all of them, but there are movies that I like from the 70s and 80s, like uh, independent or low-budget horror movies, where they um, uh, they put them out again and, and they brighten them up and make them look cleaner. But a lot of times that actually takes away from the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Some of it was intentional, you know. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing... Uh, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the theater, and I saw an old 35 millimeter print, and it was pretty bad print, but I enjoyed that far more than when I saw the restored version at the same theater, and it was very bright, and you could see the stuff technically better, but it actually took away the grittiness of the movie. Yeah, because a lot of the time, I remember talking to Jeff Porter, the guy who created and designed Pinhead about this and saying, you know, the trouble is with digitally remastered stuff from the 80s when you're looking at the makeup is that... You relied on the fact that you could, you know, you could hide the edges because it was on film, mm-hmm. and it wasn't going to be as good a quality of an image as you can get now. Funnily enough, I think the digi- digital restoration of Hellraiser, I think Hellraiser, you can get away with it because they're so weird looking. Right. Uh, and if you're going to suspend your disbelief at the beginning of the movie, you're going to suspend it enough that you're going to forgive mm-hmm. what looked like. Yeah, it depends know, on me because I know actually the the phantasm restoration too really works because it's a, mm. it depends on the movie, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, yeah, as Jeff was saying, you know, they weren't designed to be seen at 1080, yeah, you know, 4K HD. They weren't designed to be. Yeah. Interesting. You said Hellraiser too, because when I watched the um, the specials on the the box that they put out of the the first three, um, they mentioned in the first Hellraiser at the very end when the, I forget the name of the creature is like running through the hallway, mm-hmm. um, and you can see the the people uh, like yeah. bring. And yeah. I I've never noticed that before, and I've watched the movie several times, and I think by that point, you know, you're invested in the movie, and you're not, you know, you're not paying attention to. Uh, yeah. 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 Like that. Uh, Ashley Turner wants to know, um, is there a storyline he's written that he would love to play the lead himself? So it's a little bit different than the one. I oh, oh gosh. I don't think I've ever, I'm trying to think of one where I'm actually, where I've actually written somebody that I would be the right casting for. I think I really should go out and do that. Um, funnily enough, one of the short stories in the third volume that I'm working on now is kind of the old soldier talking to a young soldier. Um, and that would be kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if I'm grizzled enough. I don't know that I'm a natural, again, I don't know if I'm a natural casting for that. That that actually that's a really really good question actually, um, and it makes me strangely uncomfortable because I realise how vulnerable I would have to be in order to be able to do that. Because I think when I'm writing stuff, particularly as I'm writing stuff where either nasty things are happening to people or it's somebody doing a nasty thing, I kind of don't want to be in either of those situations. 
which of course is a complete lie. I'd love to be nasty to people. On film. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, that feeling about see, Gemini, I, I can <laughs> believe that I can totally believe that of myself, um, that both those things are true. Um, so I can't think of anything off, but I'm now going to have to go away and think about something I'd have to write for myself. Um, and, and so, yes. One of those lines, I remember, I think it might've been the last time you were on, um, you mentioned it was like a, I think it was on the weekends or maybe every month you guys would, it was like a group of writers would get together and like, you'd either write short stories or poems. And it was, and it was kind of, I compared it to kind of like the modern day, like campfire story. Mm. So apparently I would assume that's not still happening, but maybe it's, is it happening on zoom still or anything like that? No, hasn't, hasn't happened for donkeys. <laughs> hasn't, hasn't happened for a long time, which is a real shame. And I've been too busy to, to yeah. even think about it, but yeah, we, there, yes, would be a very cool thing to do. Definitely. Yeah. So the, the chattering hours return. So when is the the Brad Greenquist the episode? Uh, when's that? Brad will be available on Thursday. Oh, awesome! So every Thursday. Um, so, so that's my tomorrow carved out, um, where I have to. Go. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to edit it and do all that, you know, do all that, do all those cool things. It's it's fun because I uh, I get to relive, um, you know, the enjoyment. Because um, I'm very lucky because I really enjoyed talking with all all the guests that I've spoken to, you know, I think that's important. You know, if you're, uh, I know Tristan and I both enjoy talking to people. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think I'm very lucky with the people I've been chatting with. You know, I've gotten very well with them. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and kind of just having fun. So, yeah. So tomorrow's job is, is doing Brad Green quest. Very cool. And I, I, I never told you this, but I like that you've um, embraced chatterer. But he's not like your your whole you know existence. But there's a little bit there, you know, chattering with with, uh, with Nicholas Vince, and it's nice because I've seen people who just totally distance themselves from a character, and I always think that's a little sad. And then people that might be that's all their whole identity, and that you know whatever. But you've got him there, but he's not you know just all of you. He's not. Yeah, he's, I'm never going to be able to escape him. I, right. I, so you brace him, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad you feel I've I've managed to hit that kind of balance because I'm very conscious of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it, it's he's there, and you know, a lot of you know love and blood and guts went into his creation. Um, so I, I kind of want to acknowledge that and and enjoy it as well. Very cool. Well, this has been great. Good. And before we go, I have to do um, a quick, it has been great, um, but I just must do a couple of shout outs oh, for things. Um, firstly, Paintball Massacre. Which um, I forgot to bring up, which we both. That's got. quite all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me do that thing for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Paintball Massacre, a uh, feature film. Um, I've got lovely cameos and all of these things. Um, I'm discussing this. Paintball Massacre is uh, released on December the 15th. And I just checked it's available for pre-order on Amazon.com. Not on Amazon.co.uk, only .com, because it's only being released in America and Canada. And it's an Australian movie. It's a, no, it's a UK movie. UK movie. Okay. These are all these are all UK movies. Right. Um, but Paintball Massacre. It's, it's I've not had a chance to watch it yet. I have been sent a link because I, I need to have a, a, a watch of it. Um, 
but it was it was really fun to do and i play a a i play a barman um so i spent two days behind a bar doing that talking yeah. to these people and for people who don't nicholas he doesn't drink so yeah <laughs> ironic isn't it yeah. um and, i don't either I, anymore so. oh well done you and Thank you're looking you. great by the way oh well, thanks, uh, I appreciate it. um as do you trista as do you um uh, but a paintball massacre does exactly what it says on the tin um it, it is all about a paintballing is a school and is yeah, yeah there's a massacre <laughs> during paintball uh then there's heckle uh which stars steve gutenberg oh, um nice. they've got a um an agent pushing that uh, a film distribution agent uh, pushing that at the moment um so hopefully that should be uh coming out that's a really interesting again it's an independent film but they got steve gutenberg in it um and nicholas wins and, and nicholas wins very briefly nicholas wins but i have to say it's a nice little cat it's a fun little it's a fun moment um it's a it's a fun little moment mm-hmm. um they're outside there's another one from the same production company there uh, called they're outside um they're working on distribution they've got a number of uh, irons in the fire at the moment they were saying so they're still trying to put that one together at the moment both of those screened at versions of fright fest earlier um uh, heckland they're outside so some people have already had a chance to see them so yeah very cool that's a great name too they're outside i like that isn't it yeah 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 and again it's kind of you know it's a Nice independent horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was fun to do. Very cool. Well, we'll look forward to talking to you again. Good. Thank you, you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on again, as usual. And uh, Trista, lovely to meet you. Lovely um, to meet you. You are lovely yourself. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much indeed. Right back at you, lady. Uh, and thanks for everybody who's watched and everybody who's been watching the chattering hour because i really do deeply appreciate it yeah i was yeah. asked where people could follow can look that up but i think yeah. you just put in chattering hour you're going to find it there is a website the chattering it's actually on chris Rowe management youtube channel rather than the chattering or nicholas vents so chris Rowe management is the production company behind it uh tea time productions um so if you if you're on youtube chris Rowe management spelt as it sounds or just go to the chattering com and they've got links and they've got a little bit on myself and chris and uh and which guests we've got coming up and so on and then we're also on facebook instagram and twitter as you would expect and uh, chris rose were a good guy too i had uh drinks or i was gonna say dinner but really it was just alcohol at uh at, in rhode island i don't know if he's drinking that, but him and bar being some people it was a very nice time yeah 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 he's a he's a sound fella he's a sound fella yeah. <laughs> very, very good well this is very fun you too i do love i absolutely adore your cardigan sir i've just realized <laughs> oh, i just looked you. at it closely yes it's uh, <laughs> uh we, can, we control the horizon no it's uh the twilight zone yeah it's the twilight zone yes, yes absolutely i was trying to work out which one it, which one it is yeah it's brilliant absolutely superb all right i shall leave you all to it take care folks thanks very much Bye, thank Good night. from ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies the tomb of nick cage is the new sound in horror rock uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on itunes amazon and more we should have listening 
of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. The 